welcome back to another special episode of Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce, and I'm joined on the line by Lux. Lux, how are you now? I am doing just well. Excellent. Glad to hear it. You know, if we've been away for a month, a little bit of vacation time, and it feels so good to be back. Doesn't it, Lux? feels so good and i mean i'll be honest our audience out there like sometimes in this whole like make a podcast every week thing it gets hard to like have like innovative things to talk about sometimes taking a break not such a bad thing but it feels like totally refreshing like we're coming up to rotation and we've got all sorts of cool like stuff happening in the world of magic we had the the, the twitch stream the other day of a whole lot of really cool cool things that are happening come on oh dog get down Get down, get down there. Get down there. Here, where's he go? Here. There we go. There my dog goes. All right. Um, but yeah, no, it feels so good to be back and, you know, back in the saddle and doing it and having Lux on the line again and talking magic. It feels so good. Hopefully you guys out there in the internet world missed us and are going to be happy to have us back. Uh, maybe you tell a friend or tell a few other people that we're out here. So we'd love to have a few more join us. Um, don't forget, you can find all of our content here at thelotuscouncil.com. That is our home th- here on the internet. And uh, that means whatever going on on thelotuscouncil.com, you can find out. Uh, they had you know, they had, they had a Twitch stream today. They have open uh, pack openings. They've got all sorts of cool stuff going on all the time. Um, so come and check them out. But as we have said time and time again, is that the number one feature here is gotta be the discord. The discord is by far and away their best attribute. Um, people talking all sorts of magic all the time. Ah, no, leave it dog. Thank you. But, uh, all sorts of great uh, things happening over at the discord. Uh, some people setting up webcam games, other people uh, looking to trade cards, other people just looking to chat and talk about uh, new decks they're building. So come in and check it out for yourself. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, I've been away for a month and I came back and it's like I haven't missed a beat. So uh, lots of great people. Come and check it out. You're going to be pleased, I think. So Lex, should we just like, get into this like the way we normally do? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we'll, we'll, do, we'll do some garbage or great, then we can catch up with what we've been all been up to for the last month. So tonight's garbage or great, everybody, I think this was a slam dunk there, Lux. We've got Glissa the Traitor. Oh, get some water. Oh, oh spicy. Oh. <laughs> Seriously, like, we get some, like, bad unco- bad commons and uncommons, and, like, we have to, like, try and make a story here. There's not much to tell here. This is a black green green for a 3-3 legendary creature Phyrexian Zombie Elf. First strike, death touch, and whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, you may return tar- artifact card from your graveyard to your hand. Oh, sweet lord! This card is not just great. It is redonkulous. Tell me about it, Lux. Tell me about Glissa the Traitor. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, if uh, your deck, like, even if your deck doesn't really in you know, focus around that sort of thing, Glissa is a must-have anyways. Like, seriously, just run her. Yeah, like, I think the, the incidental value, you can, like, most of us have some measure of, um, of, dog, hey, no. I'm sorry, Idis. My dog is all confused. Come here. Come here. Hey, what have I got? Come here. Yeah, yeah, I got treats. Come lie down. Come lie, come lie down. Come here. Come here. Come sit. So, Glissa the Trader uh, is, let's see, I'm going to pull out how many decks she's in. Um, just generally, because I think she's kind of nuts. So she's the commit lead singer, 842 decks on on EDH rec, which seems a little disappointing. Um, but what is as a card? What are we looking at here? Ah, dog. No, okay, I gotta put my dog upstairs. Okay, so folks. Nope. 
No, you're going to wreck the boys. No. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, anyway, so yeah, but Gliss of the Trader in decks, she's in almost 1600 decks. I feel like that's probably not enough because let's be honest, folks, if you are having artifacts of any sort, um, some number of them are going to die. Do you agree, Lux? Yep. Things die. When things die, you want them back. So this is just a really easy way to start getting your things back. So um, I think Glissa is terrific. Three mana, I mean, she fits in any deck that's running, you know, black and green real easy. I mean, I don't think the two, the, 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 the three mana, colored mana pips is really that onerous a task in most decks. Would you agree? Definitely. Yeah, so I think this card is just, just, like, just primed to go in all sorts of things. And I think a lot of people have shied away from her. I think in no small measure because black green has moved away from um, this sort of graveyard recursion with artifacts. I think that was you know very unique to Phyrexia, uh, new Phyrexia in particular. Um, but I think what we have had since then has been more of a. I'd say black green has gone in a direction of being more of an aristocrats build. Would you agree? From what I've seen, yeah, it's slowly starting to get that way. Yeah, I mean, the combination of you get like Slimefoot and then now Belladros, which both have like an aristocrat sort of feel to them in terms of what they can do, um, means that, you know, you're you're moving away from the straight graveyard recursion package the way you would have with, um, with Glissa or... Oh, uh, what's the other one with the experience counters that's Black Green is so horrendous to play against? Oh. I'll probably remember it in about five minutes there, folks, but like the there's another like there's a black green commander that is very similar that is just uh just straight value whenever you whereas I'm gonna find it here in in seven seconds. I want no, no. Why is that not really? It doesn't show up. But you know what I'm talking about there, Lux? Like the black-green experience counter one that's got... Um, that is just horrendous to play against because you can't keep your stuff dead. And I think so. I think... Why can't I draw? I'm just... Oh. Green experience counter... Commander deck. I feel so stupid now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clan Del Toth. Um, what was her name? Where's my commander? Yeah, Mirren. Mirren of Clan, of Clan Del Toth. And Mirren is just equally frustrating because it's just a straight recursion package. And if you, you know, you play Glissa, it's very similar, a very similar vein. And uh, they kill your artifacts, and you're, and you're hoping they do, you get them back. Or, um, you know, Anyway, so yeah, like she's she's just terrific though. Like, what's not to like? She's a terrible creature to tussle tussle with, because that combination of first strike and death touch is just nasty, is it not, Lux? Whoa. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's filthy, like just the worst. So, and like you know what I'm talking about? Her price tag is very reasonable. Yeah. Like I'm looking at it right here. Like the price tag for like the Mirage and Besiege is just a plain. Dirty marriage and besiege version is like under five bucks. A very eminently playable card, like that's pretty good. So she's great. Yep. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. Yeah. So um, there we go, folks. Yep. Pretty simple. They, honestly, they, they, it would honestly be a crime if we said garbage. It would be a straight-up crime. Oh, uh, we'd be lying to to the audience, Lux. If we had said the garbage, the audience would be like, "These guys don't know what they're talking about." And she's great. We just forgot about her. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of other commanders that have pushed Black Green in other directions, which might we account for why she's not more played. But I think she's still gas. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on. 
Uh, let's move on to segment two, and then sort of let's have a let's have a catch up with everybody. Like, what have we been doing for the last month? So let's start with you, Lex. What have you been up to over the last month uh, while we've been off since episode seventy five? Well, unfortunately, and I've been dealing with COVID. Oh, what? Lux, did you get it? Unfortunately. Dude. Oof. Big yeah. oof. All right, so we don't need to know the hows unless you really want to share. But um, how, how, did it, how did it get you? Did, were you? Were you rocked? Or like, did it put you on your back, or does it just make you feel lousy? It made me in a feel and a pretty lousy for the last few weeks, but and eventually I managed to get over it. That's good. Um, so obviously, if you had COVID, you didn't go. You didn't go on vacation, traveling anywhere. You didn't go. Uh, you didn't even go to the grocery store. So, uh, what did you do? Well, and I mainly just went went through my collection. And seeing the, I'm still trying to build that Netherroy deck. By the way, I just don't know what, oh. what they, I don't know what direction I want to take him in. <laughs> I think that's going to be your great white whale. So if you're the one like you're going to hunt for the ways, the best way to build Netherroy, or better yet, you could build it fifty different ways. Maybe not fifty. Yeah. You should you should build like you should have, you should have like uh like all the different versions of Netherroy. And put it up on 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 the on the mox field here for everyone to to see all the variants of Nethroy you want to build, like the straight like graveyard filler, and then you mutate it onto something and pop a whole bunch of things bunch out, or you want to play the counter game, or you want to do I don't know what you want to do like or the big or the big mutate deck or I don't know what you want to do. There's lots of things you can do. It's it's almost silly. Yeah. So, good heavens. But yeah, we should we should have all the ver. I should like post all the versions of Nefroy. Yeah. For the audience, and uh, if people want to get a hold of you, I'm pretty sure there's a comment feature that you people can view and leave comments. Of uh, what you think should go in there, or you can tweet to uh, tweet to us on Twitter at uh, Epic Exp Cast on at, on Twitter. Let us know what we should be putting in our decks. Oh, my dog's now grumpy because he doesn't like being... <laughs> Give me a second. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to wake my children up. Hold on. Children, you're okay. You can come lie down now. Yeah, you can come lie down. Yeah, come lie down. Yeah, it's okay. Come on, my boy. So, audience, we have my, my, my dog, Ignos, is here. He's here to say hi. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna learn how to how to settle down. So, um, you went through a million versions of, of Nethroi. So you organized your whole collection. How how did you organize it? We gotta know. Inquiring minds need to know. How did you organize it? And I normally organize by color. Just, just by color, not by rarity, or just just like all your blue cards in one box. Obviously, and... I'm assuming you put like your 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 rares and mythics somewhere else, right? Uh, yeah, and I usually uh, set those by themselves. Yeah. But otherwise, like, your commons and uncommons all end up together in a big old yep. pizza box. Yeah. <laughs> you don't sort by set, though? You don't go, like, oh, this is, like, Innistrad block, this is RCR block, this is, you know, just blue, and then, blue in a box. Yeah, pretty much, and then too much of a hassle to do by myself. Well, you did have time, my friend. You did have time. Uh, yeah, but uh, what are you going to do? No, I appreciate that. Did you catch up on any terrible daytime TV? I know. Like, I've mainly just been uh, like, keeping up with you know, like, uh, another in a pod- MTG podcast and like, that everybody should know about limited resources. Ah, uh, yes. Well, the good news there, they, they, those guys are still churning them out, and they are like... I don't know how, how, how deep they are. What was the last episode there? I don't even know. Like 600? <laughs> they're, yeah. they're just... They're getting way up there, aren't they? Yeah. Here we are a little, chugging along a little 76, and they're like at six, episode 600 or something. I don't know. 
Yeah, yikes. My friend, I'm sorry that COVID bit you right in the butt. Um, I mean, apparently it's a, it's a thing in your state. I mean, Texas seems yeah. to be struggling with it again, as is oh, Florida. <laughs> I don't want to say anything, I mean, but it's Florida. And Florida seems like a special place. And the Twilight Zone I don't know. state. Pretty much, yeah. Like, I'm pretty much convinced that, like, if anything crazy is going to happen, it's going to happen in Florida. Like, yeah. Like, and and uh, am I am I misreading the situation? Like, do you people make fun of Florida the same way that yeah, we do? Again, like, everybody makes fun of Florida. Okay, good. So it's not just me. Thank goodness. Okay. Good deal. Um, on my end, uh, oh, is there anything else you wanted to share, Lux? Or is there, or, or you want to let me have a go? Yeah, that's pretty much it. Cool. So, um, I spent the last uh, 26 days working up at a summer camp up in Quebec, north of Mont Tremblant. If anybody goes skiing, you probably should be familiar with Mont Tremblant. It's one of the premier um, ski resorts on the Eastern Seaboard. Um, and really not that far from the American border with Vermont or New Hampshire. So, uh, many Americans do grace the hills of Mont Tremblant. Anyway, uh, you go up another. About an hour north uh, from Mont Tremblant, and you're into what's we call the Laurentians, or, or in French, Les Laurentides. And there's, I, I work at a camp up there. And uh, so, one of the things that I did um, in preparation for going up to this, this camp, um, I do write an article series for a, uh, an LGS in Montreal. Uh, it's called Three Kings Loot, um, which is actually, well, I'll include a link into my show notes. Um, and one thing I did is I approached the store owner and I said, like, look, these counselors who are working up at this camp, um, they've literally given up their summer to not, and they can't leave, they can't leave the site. They can't go home. They can't, they can't go even go into the local grocery store even to get, you know, a, bowl, a box of cereal or anything like that. They're literally stuck on property for the entire duration of their contract. So, um, could we do something if kids, if some of these guys wanted to play magic in the evening, uh, could we set something up where, you know, I order on their behalf and then we ship it to the camp and we could do, um, a, a bit of a sealed thing. Um, and usually what I do when I've done this before, I, I, I get the guys to order bundles through Amazon, but the problem with Amazon, and I will mention this to anybody who's looking to order cards, Amazon's a great service for ordering all sorts of things right would you agree lux yep but it's not particularly good at ordering magic cards it's okay but it's nothing special it's just you order your box of whatever and you know what shows up in the mail a couple days later whatever it is you ordered but if you order from an lgs lgs's have ways to thank you for your for your for your patronage and this store, Three Kings Loot, was fantastic and setting this up with some cool promos and some extra, some extra promo packs and things like that. Um, so they were really, really generous to the to the counselors um, and really, really helpful to the boys. Um, and we had a lot of fun. So we ordered. I guess there was eight guys who were involved, and we all ordered a bundle um, of something standard. Um, most of the guys ordered Strixhaven because it was the stuff that was actually available because the um forgotten realms set was not available yet but we were most of us ordered Strixhaven. one guy ordered some call time another couple guys ordered some from zendikar rising but it was predominantly Strixhaven, and we played like essentially a sealed league um because and um i would recommend if anybody's looking to do this with people um who may be familiar with how to play but may not have a big collection the bundles are a pretty good way to go yeah you're you're the cards you're getting are a little bit... You're getting a few more packs in a normal sealed event. But um, you're getting also all the basic, basic lands they would need in order to be able to play. And that's a big help. So that no one has to show up with a, with a box full of basics. And Because if you don't, you can't play the game, right? So everybody gets their bundle and everybody's assured to get enough basics to run your deck. Um, so it was... It was pretty cool, I have to say. I uh, I really enjoyed it. 
Um, and it was interesting to pit one block against the other. Like, you see Zendikar rising against Kaldheim, against Strixhaven, to sort of see that, um, that feature, too. Um, there was some really fun gameplay, I have to say. I think playing sealed and playing limited is still one of my favorite ways of playing the game. I know Lux is a big drafter for the same reason, I think. I think the gameplay is very uh, is very strong. Would you agree, Lux? Oh, definitely. Yeah, so the, the, the gameplay was terrific. Um, the deck, and it was really quite good because one of the, one of the stipulations I, I gave the guys is, like, they asked me, like, can we trade cards? And I said, normally I would say no, but, like, we're playing for fun at camp. Why not? Trade the cards that are in the pool, but uh, you can't add any cards from your personal collection if you have a collection at camp. And so you can see guys, like, one guy opened up a, like, a call, the guy who opened a call time box he opened a Maha and wanted to play Maha, but Call Time doesn't have a lot of landfall and doesn't really support it in the same way as if you're playing Zedekar. So that guy traded a bundle of his stuff to one of the guys who's playing, who opened a Zedekar Rising box and to get landfall pieces so he could play a landfall deck. So it was kind of neat to see that. We had another guy who built... The deck was ended up being a sixty card limited deck because he was playing all the all the heated debates and curates as a meme. So he had every curate that was opened in the pool and every heated debate that was opened in his deck. And I'm like, sure, why not? Like just just have at her, my friend. <laughs> like it was nuts. Um, so, no, the gameplay was fun, lots of different decks. Um, I had not accounted for the power disparity that the Mystical Archives introduced as well. So, one of the guys opened, get this, Lux, Natural Order, as a, uh, as a, uh, Mystical Archive. Also opened in his box, a Belladros. Sweet. So you know what this guy was open like, was like was natural ordering for every time he could. Bloody Belladros. Yep. Like he'd make a pest, and then he would sack it to natural order and go and find Belladros. There's nothing like the the a dragon landing on four. Like oh, turn four, and you already have a pest. You have natural order in hand and a Belladros in your deck. And now it's time for me to lose. Oh, awesome. This is going to go swell. And oh, when sorry. the guy. You plan on having fun tonight? Yeah, I know. I did not. Apparently, I planned on dying to the, to the Belladros. Um, so, yeah, no, it was super cool to see that deck go. And, uh, but yeah, the Mystical Archives really put Monkey Wrench and stuff. Uh, one of the other guys traded for all the Inquisition of Kozilex and was just looking to. I okay you right out of right out of cards and I'm like I don't think that's a like, really useful in uh, like no I don't care I have four of them I'm going to play all the IOKs and I'm like all right all the power to you <laughs> so it was fun stuff um I do I will say from my own testing Black's Vesting Pest which is the mythic from Strixhaven which looks absolutely positively terrible. Would you agree? Yeah. However, the back of the card is insane. The back of this card is why this is a mythic. I am now very firmly convinced. When you can rip this and go five for one and draw five, rip five cards on top of your deck, you are going to be... You don't even care how much life you lost. You won't even care. Like, it's just... That much better. So, yeah, vexing vex blacks vexing pest is very very powerful. Um, so one of the other things that we did after ours, once sort of like the the sealed league sort of petered out, was that we took to play EDH, um, which was a lot of fun because uh, we got to play. I had to play with a bunch of different players that, I, that are outside of my normal play group, um, and that's a lot of fun. Um, but what ended up happening, a lot of guys didn't have decks with them. So I had to lend out 
the decks. Um, so I would lend out my, so I, you know, I have 24 or 25 decks built and sleeved and ready to go. So I would lend out my decks to let people play, which is pretty cool. Um, and, uh, but what it did is it let me see how other players would pilot the same hundred cards, which I don't think we actually ever like take into account when we, we build a deck, like we build a deck and like we talk about here on the show all the time, but somebody else picks up that same hundred cards and has a very different line of play than what I would do. And I was like, I watched, I would watch these guys play my decks and I'm like, huh, that's neat. I hadn't thought of that. Um, to the point where I was like actually taking notes. I'm like, Oh, I liked how you sequenced that. Um, so it was pretty good. Um, it was a pretty neat experience. Very clearly though, Lux, here on this show, we have a very definite way of playing magic. You and I do. Where other people in this world do not see the card, see this the same way. I'm going to talk about some of the decks I played against. So one of the players that was showing up was running, um, uh, was was admitted that he plays in a far more spiky playgroup than what we normally play in. So the decks he brought out, he brought out Feather, and he brought out Amara. So on two different nights, he played one night he played Feather, and another night he played Amara. So Feather is exactly what you expect it is. It is a Voltron commander where you cast a bunch, a whole bunch of cantrips, and then just get your opponent and, and get them dead. Um, Amara was a little bit different um, because Amara pretty much uh, hinged on the ability to tap and untap her uh, pretty much at will to get a whole lot of tokens, generate mountains of mana, and then do something gross. Um, but where both of these commanders are very, very powerful when they are built in a particular direction, the unfortunate reality becomes in both of these decks is that um, they both fold to hate. When you can remove uh, these commanders off the table, then um, very quickly do these decks fall apart. And so, you know, Feather, the Feather player in the night that he played that deck, um, he decided he was going to come after me. Uh, and so I had countered his grafted exoskeleton because, duh, I'm not letting you infect me out. And then he proceeded to try and attack me and I river, river rebuked all his things and made him re reset up. And by the time it was actually his turn to untap, he was already dead. So, I mean, you make a feather, you make a feather player have to recommit to the board, and they quickly they quickly fold up. Come on, you sit down, Ignos. Sit down. You're okay. Um, the Amara deck. Everybody established very quickly that he wanted to tap and untap his stuff. And, uh, like, they piled on all the hate, single, single target removal they could find to the point where Amara is a two-mana creature that was costing him 18 mana to redeploy. <laughs> 18 mana to redeploy an Amara. And he was doing it. He's like, nope, I gotta do it. The deck is hinged on it. So... So it posed, it made me pose a question to myself. Like, what sort of, if he says he plays in a spikier meta, what are these people doing with their decks? Because it makes it, made it appear like everybody was just going to be able to, like, just glass cannon everybody to death and no one was actually prepared to interact. Because he, like, lamented the fact that all this interaction and, and ways to interact with his, with his commanders and, and his strategy, and I'm like, dude, we're playing removal. Like, it's not like we're playing, like, anything truly remarkable here. We're just killing your stuff. Which pretty much is, like, level zero interaction. Yeah, um, they, the, people, they, the people he's used to playing against, they, what exactly are they doing, then? Yeah, I couldn't tell you. But apparently he's like, well, we, we all play infinite combos and games are over 40 minutes. I'm like, well, that's lame. <laughs> like, I'm like, 
I'm quite I'm quite happy to sit here and grind. All my decks are built to grind. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, the third deck that really jumped off the page to me was the Zaphi Thunder Conductor deck from this year's pre-cons. Holy moly. I've upgraded a little bit. That deck is nuts. So we this guy was essentially playing an un unaltered um deck and it was more or less a storm deck that lacked a kill condition because i watched him go off for 25 minutes and he couldn't find a way to kill the table but he went off for 25 minutes and went ridiculous i was like that's cool like that's impressive with a pre-con like it wouldn't take much to pull out a like pull something out of that and put in a storm wind condition and then just storm off and wreck the table because it was that impressive um now i will admit it helped we had a mana doubler on the battlefield that kind of gave everybody a gigantic leg up but still it was pretty neat to see this guy basically just go off for 15, 15, 20, 25 minutes, and then, it was unfortunate he, he fizzled. So, um, but it was pretty cool, to say the least. So, if anybody's out there looking for something fun to play, uh, that Zaphi deck, I think is actually good money, good money well spent um, to make to make your, 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 your gameplay pretty cool. I know, you need to settle down, dog. Just settle down. Um, so I did take uh, some pretty good takeaways from my uh, from my foray. Um, obviously, um, I think that all my decks, if that if that is indicative of how higher level com- uh, competitive players want to play, where there's not a lot of interaction, which I don't think is actually true. I think if you like watch CEDH gameplay videos, the amount of interaction is actually borderline crazy pants. Um, but uh, you know, I sort of feel like there's like we sort of figure, what do you figure we sort of aim for on this show when we like a like a six for our power level? Yeah, like a five or six. Yeah, a five or a six probably. Uh, with a hundred dollar deck, you're probably getting closer to a five, truthfully. Uh, and you know, some days when we either blow the budget or we um, are particularly focused, then sure, maybe we can get to a six. But um, you know, when you get up probably to like an eight. People are like, looks like people are doing really powerful stuff and are not prepared to have the interaction. So, um, and maybe if there's people out there that are playing at a higher power level that, you know, have a different take on it, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using this particular one player because he admitted that he felt like he played at a higher power level than what we were doing. And yet, you know, our decks were all being able to hang with him because we had interaction that was able to slow him down and put us back on even footing. So I don't feel like, you know, I don't think anything crazy was like transpired, but you know, if that's what higher level pilots want to do, they, they just don't want the interaction. Then I don't know what's going on. Like at higher power levels, because I like a five and a six. This is what we have to do. You have to put removal in your deck because everybody's just going to smash you to pieces. Right? Like, am I, am I wrong? Yeah, I'm thinking. The, the past couple of sets like, that we've reviewed, and they, there have been cards that are KOS cards. Yes, absolutely there are. Like, Drixhaven is, like, like prime example, number one. Like, Belladros, as you see it, you kill it. There is no other way to put it. And when that thing is a commander, you got to kill it. Because it's going to power out something dumb. You know, and all these other... You know, decks are no different. You just gotta remove the thing. Well, feather is a prime example. Like you see a feather, you kill feather. You don't let that thing resolve and stick on the battlefield. Good heavens! Um, the other piece that I think was indicative of, uh, or, or or became apparent was um, the the need that many of my decks, when I build things, I don't usually have them hinged on the commander. Um. I the commander is often there as a nice support piece, but it isn't integral to my strategy in most decks. 
there are a few where I would I, I admit that you know they they are quite powerful or they are the reason. Oh yeah, no, it's okay. You just settle down. You just settle down. Um, but you know, for instance, I'll use a couple of examples. Like I have a Sadisi Brew Tyrant deck where Sadisi enables me to fill my graveyard at a reasonable pace so that I can then do like the the land ramp that I want to do with my Splendid Reclamation or my World Shaper or whatever. And, you know, and also to gain access to my Villainous Wealth more rapidly so that I can then Villainous Wealth somebody at the table for, you know, all the manas. But if I don't resolve Sidisi, it's okay. Um, I, you know, I have a, a few others that, you know, fall in the same category where my commander isn't integral to what I do. Um, I have a strategy. The strategy is well developed, um, but the commander may not, may or may not be the linchpin to it. And I think what that does is it makes the decks probably a little bit lower in overall power level in terms of like a ceiling, because I'm not leveraging the the commander to its fullest extent. Um, however, it also means that my floor is a lot higher because I'm just playing generically powerful cards in my deck, meaning that, you know, if I rip anything off the top of my deck, it could very well be the card I'm looking for instead of uh, a synergy piece to go with my commander. And I think that's a very different sort of way of constructing decks that I think, you know, having seen basically all my decks or many of my decks run over the last month has really opened my eyes to, like, I build my decks in a certain way. I very clearly build my decks in a way to make sure that I'm trying to cover as many bases as I could, um, and the commander may or may not be integral to what I'm doing, which is, you know, very, very interesting. And then a few of my decks um, surprised me very much. Um, so I have a General Tazri five-color allies deck that sounds like it should be just an atrocious mess of me getting my, getting wrecked. However, one of the guys in my that I was playing with up at camp took to playing this as his favorite deck of mine to play. And every time he played it in a multiplayer pod, he crushed the pod. Every time. And it was like through different ways every time too. And I'm like so I'm like it has clearly far more punch than I thought it would. Um and then uh Tristani Voice of Selesnya, the, the one from Return to Ravnica Block, uh, was outstanding in its own right um, because it definitely killed. Um, so in the game in which Zaphi went nuts, um, I looked over at the guy beside me and he looked at me and he showed and he showed me his hand and sitting in his hand is a Crater Hoof Behemoth um, along with a bunch of other tokens on the battlefield to which I said, well... If this guy with the Zaphi deck doesn't kill us, uh, Crater Hoof kills us all. So this is kind of a moot point. Um, anyway, so anyway, lots of good takeaways from um, from my experience up at camp. Um, I'm glad I got to go and do it. Uh, not only from a personal standpoint, but from a magic playing standpoint to play with some new people. But uh, and I got to play in paper, which is like the first time in 18 months I got to play people in paper instead of, you know, over a webcam. So, it was cool. It was cool. Um, anything else? Any questions you want to ask me, Lux? Anything, any ideas that you had or, or lessons like, like, like that you, you seem to, you know, where it makes sense for you? And, and honestly, not really, like, nothing I can think of right about now. Fair enough. Um, while we're at it, let's catch up and let's uh, have a little look at, here at um, some of the new products are coming out because there was a huge Twitch stream released, uh, I guess, late last week with all the cool products that are going to be um, out this year. Uh, and some of them I bet we're pretty excited for and some of them, well, maybe not. So uh, let's start with what's rotating into Standard uh, this fall. We're going to have uh, Innistrad Midnight Hunt in September, and then we have Innistrad Crimson Vow, which is so one of them is like very werewolf focused, and then the other one 
very evidently is vampire focused. So, Lux, are you excited for our return to um, Innistrad again this time? Oh, and I was when they initially announced it, and then I started looking at what they were going to be about. They, but what does this have to do with the story of Innistrad? They, we've already they we've done everything there is to do on Innistrad. Well, I guess from the sort sounds of it, somewhere along the lines in the story of things from I I don't know exactly, but in the Midnight Hunt they were mentioning on the Twitch stream that. It is essentially a, uh, the situation that the balance between light and uh, light, like daytime and nighttime, is now out of whack for some reason. Um, and so, with more nighttime, uh, the werewolves are in the process of taking over and asserting their dominance of the plane. And then, Crimson Vow. Uh, similarly, we have uh, a number of the vampire houses have decided. To to join lines by having a marriage between um, a little sounds like Olivia Voldaren and then one of the other, probably a Markov, somebody from the Markovs, but it could be one of the other houses, I suppose. Um, which I think is interesting to see the power dynamics of the plane when you don't have your, your, um, well, essentially your guardian angel and Avison because she's dead. Um, Sigarda is the one remaining, and I don't. And Sigarda is alone, or more alone than she was. Uh, and you don't have Liliana helping to retain order. And as much as Liliana was was, or is still very much a black planeswalker, and is still very much somebody who who could be deemed as somebody ambitious, uh, she would have kept things in order to some degree. So. You know, I'm I'm reasonably interested in seeing them. Although I I am also like you, I am skeptical about how much storytelling can be done through the sets. I also think that having the one come out in September, and then the other coming out, you know, let's call it six weeks later in November, is going to be problematic for my wallet. It's just going to make my wallet cry. <laughs> um, so, um, but, but get this too, because Innistrad, uh, Crimson Vow is going to be, is this November, we don't seem to be getting a winter set. So, you know, what's going in the place of the winter set. Mm. Did you hear this? So something called Innistrad double feature, which yeah. is a, they've now, they're going to mix the two. Midnight Hunt and the Crimson Vow together in this sort of specialty product that'll be available in LGSs. And it's a draftable format that's going to be done in store, which sounds cool, except A, COVID. <clears throat> that's a problem. But with no yeah. winter set, you're going to have more Innistrad into at least... So September to March is all Innistrad. Like, I like Innistrad as much as anybody else. I think it's cool. But really, do we need six months of Innistrad? I think that'd basically be like if we got six months of Ravnica. Of the same Ravnica. Yep. Right? Like, it'd be, it'd be yep. like if we got, like, Six like six months of like dragon's maze. Sorry. No, like, it would have cost you nothing to put the image in my head. <laughs> Sorry, my friend. Sorry, couldn't resist. But anyway, no, I'm excited to see what this look like. But I'm like, could we like? I I don't. I don't want to say like I, let's put a fifth standard set in there, but kind of thinking like a fifth standard set would kind of be good um so we get the winner one somewhere else but anyway this is what they're going to do i hope for god's sake uh and lgs's sakes that covid has receded enough such that we can go and play in paper and we're not drafting this in our basements in two years time because we couldn't buy it and draft it in stores um but I am I am interested in in what this in what how the storytelling is done, and how 
interesting the cards are. I heard a number of other podcasts speculating that they thought that because we're going to be at um, in Innistrad for so long, that the cards are going to be juiced. Like, if you're not going to freshen it up with something new, you got to juice the cards, right? That makes sense. Yeah. Well, we'll find out in a couple so, of weeks. Sure will, and and we'll do all, we'll we'll have our, our show support our our um our previews here and our all, all we do that for for new the new set releases coming up. Don't you worry. Um, then we have Pioneer Challenger decks in October. Do you care? Then yeah, not really. And to be honest, they it kind of seems like Pioneer was a dead format. Uh well, yeah. There is that. There is the fact that Historic seems to have supplanted it. Modern is like the version of like what people want to play on MTGO. And Historic is what people want to play on Arena. And Pioneer only really exists in paper to any real degree. Now, there are some interesting interesting decks. Like there's a... I think they're, they're saying that there's... A Lotus Field combo deck. That's one of the decks. And so Lotus Field being um, quite a powerful and expensive card. Um, let's see. What's the cost of a Lotus Field these days? Because I believe it's, it's reasonably pricey. Lotus Field. Let's see. Lotus Field is $7 a card. Which you know that's not insignificant for for a rare. So yeah, so yeah, Lotus, the Lotus Field combo deck is one of the decks. But like, do you are you is do you think your does, does your store even want to buy these Lux? Like, speculate. Put yourself in this in the position of the manager or whoever does the ordering for your store. Are you ordering many of these from your distributor? Honestly, I don't see that happening. No, you may or you might order like four of each and leave them on your shelf and they might get sold but like yeah no um then we have some other products that are coming out so we've got uh dominaria united which looks which sounds cool uh what is this one releasing oh they have no information available on this uh they've also got the brothers war which is cool like these both sound more promising to me turn to dominaria um, would not be remiss in my mind. Like, Dominaria was one of the better sets in the last mm, five years. Yep. Would you agree? Like, Dom- so, yeah. a return to Dominaria sounds good to me. The Brothers War is probably also put on Dominaria, which also sounds good to me. Hey, what about this? Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. And so much, for, that? That made, so much for us never returning to Kamigawa. Um, I'm fairly certain that it's we were going to go back eventually because I think there's too much lore there. Um, in also there's a lot of money to be made here, right? So one thing that Wizards has done, probably all noticed it, is that they keep going back to the well of Japanese culture. You've probably noticed it, like Japanese mystical archives, Japanese um, specialty anime. Planeswalkers from War of the Spark, like we keep, and every time they do it, they sell like hotcakes, and Wizards makes metric tons of money. So they go back and tap the well of um, some measure of uh, Japanese culture. Doesn't sound like it's out of the question, and we're just getting more steampunk. That's what I get. That's what I'm getting, like steampunk or like some sort of like, yeah. I think I'm just getting steampunk. It sounds cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm actually excited for it because we haven't been to Kamigawa since like 2009 or whatever. Like it's been a long time. So to see us revisit Kamigawa sounds cool. And then Streets of Campania is another one. Um, this sounds like uh, like so. The, here's the description of it on the Wizards webpage. <clears throat> Mazik explores a new plane in this set with the metropolis of New Campania, a city that is both grit and glamour. 
And that's all we got. Um, does that sell the set, does they sell anything to you? Um, they honestly, to me, they it kind of sounds like they're going for like magic meets LA Noir. I think they're going for like uh, magic meets like classic 1920s mobsters. That's what I'm thinking. Like the the speakeasies of Chicago and and New York and Los Angeles and stuff, and like the glamour like uh, of you know how the rich and powerful could frequent it, and that you know the but the mobsters like you know with sort of uh, that undercurrent of of violence and brutality that could. Uh, that existed. I'm going to be honest with you. Isn't that what Ravnica is? And basically, because you, like, you have the Orzhov Syndicate. Yeah. The Orzhov, well, I mean, all of them, like Orzhov and the Demir, and they're all like gangs, yep. lack of a better term. And they all got their, like, oh, look at us. We're like so, like, the outward facing to the community piece that looks so upstanding and reputable. With the exception of the grill, because they just smash things, but everybody else has got like a reputable face that they show off to the community. But then underneath, they've got this like violent enforcement mechanism. Each part in each in each of the, the ten guilds. So I'm like, didn't we ever? Didn't we haven't we already been here? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, we'll see. Maybe they'll they'll make maybe it'll feel different, but I don't know. And then we have Jumpstart 2022. Do you care? Nope. Nope, me neither. Because the first Jumpstart, I never even opened any of it because I couldn't because of, because of uh, supply chain issues. So more doesn't mean anything to me. So meh. So yeah, like I'm excited for Kamigawa. I'm excited for Dominaria United, uh, the Brothers War. I'm interested for... Uh, Innistrad Crimson Vow and, and Midnight Hunt to see how they get roll out. And then we also have th- we have things like um, oh geez, there's was was Modern Horizons 2 that was coming out and then there was a Commander Legends uh, Commander Legends uh, Baldur's Gate coming out mm-hmm. which seems pretty cool frankly if you ask me. So we'll see when those arrive, but those are like those are in 2023, I think. So it's going to be a long way before they, those get, those things arrive here, but that's okay. So anyway, some cool stuff to look to look into. Yep. Anything else you want to talk about, or we should move on to to our deck? Yeah, let's move on to the deck. Cool. All right. So our deck tonight, everybody. So I went and went to flippy flippy through my collection. And found commanders that I hadn't built. And I probably should. This looks like fun. But I open. I have a, an Elena Kessig Trapper and a Helena Kessig Ranger. Um, so these are. So Elena is a 5 mana 4 3 legendary creature human scout with first strike and partner. And then her activated ability or tap. Yeah, activated ability is. Tap, add an amount of red mana equal to the greatest power from creatures you control that enter the battlefield this turn. Interesting. Okay. And Halana, Kessig Ranger, is a, is a four mana, so three and a green for a three, four legendary creature human archer with reach. And whenever another human, sorry, another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay two. When you do, that creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature. So it punches stuff. So you have mana ramp on one, and you have removal on the other. And they're got, both got partner. And collectively, they cost 21 cents. Hmm. Yes, please. So, yeah. a quick look. So the creatures are okay. Look, this deck is pretty man hungry. All right, this, there's no doubt about it. this deck is pretty man hungry, um, and so you your amount of mana ramp to this deck is integral to what this deck wants to do. So you're playing some 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 mana dorks. I don't normally play a lot of mana dorks, but we're going to this time. Um, but you get Zhirtaw Druid, 
an Elysian Caryatid, because Caryatid can act like a Sawring, which is cool. Goblin Anarchomancer, which is a card from Modern Horizons that makes um, things that cost red and green cost less. Then, uh, what else do we get? Um, Beanstalk Giant has a has a land ability where you go and use those fertile footsteps to go find a basic. Um, and then you're into things like uh, Cultivates, Farseeks, Rampant Growth, Gaishaw Claim, Arcane Knit, Sol Ring. As much as you can, try and ramp to get your fat things out. Because Elena rewards you for playing expensive things that have got big power um, so that you can get a lot of mana to do cast more big things. So um, the creature package itself is, you know, you got your, you get your archetype of endurance, you get your Ashayas, your battle mammoth. Battle mammoth seems like a really good inclusion here as a six power five, five, sorry, six, five for five. And uh, with a really interesting ability. Uh, oh, plus you can foretell it. Um, Beanstalk Giant, which could be really good. Now, one of the ones that interested me was the Dongglade Regent enters the battlefield. You become the monarch. It's a seven mana. It's a seven mana eight. And as long as you are the monarch, permanents you control have hexproof. Did you know this was a card? And no, I did not. And it's forty-four cents. <laughs> so that seems really good in this deck because. If you have Elena on the battlefield, she's making a pile of mana. But then on top of it, giving your things hexproof is really good. So, yeah. Um, Andre's forerunners to what the table down. Itali. Well, Itali's Itali. Oh, oh. Pardon me. Galta? What do you think? Galta? Yeah, Galta. Yep. Also, uh, also, also, Goreclaw. Goreclaw's good. I like people forget about Goreclaw. Um, yeah, no. Uh, we got uh, Kodama of the East Tree, Kogla, Morog, Nayeth of the Dire Hunt. So, and, oh yeah, and Omneth Locus of Rage. Because who doesn't want to make all those elementals when you make all those land drops? Um, so a whole bunch of really cool creatures there. Osphala Ice Shaper is cool too. You're getting lots of cool things. Uh, the sorceries themselves are pretty straightforward. You're playing a lot of land ramps. So you got the, like I said, Rampant Growth, Farseed, Cultivate. But then you're going to play things like Ballygad Recovery. It's an MDFC. So as an MDFC, you can play as a land. Blasphemous Act seems to mop up the board pretty good. Um, Rishkar's expertise is very good. Uh, you can, you know, cast it for six, play a battle mammoth for five, and um, still draw a pile of cards. Seems good to me. Shamanic Revelation is similar, and then Sky Shadow Claim is nice, a nice piece too. Incense, you get your Beast Within, Chaos Warp, Harrow for more land. Kizal's Fury and Colony's Ambush are both MDSCs with useful abilities. If you don't need them to be MDS to be lands, you can you know use them to fight something or to fling something. Crossing drip grip, crossing drip, crossing grip. Return of the wild speaker, roiling regrowth, and rapid vigor. Rapid vigor is, I think, my new favorite cheap way of playing um, heroic intervention. Because heroic intervention is like ten bucks, and this is like one. Seem good? Yeah. Uh, and then your artifacts are pretty straightforward. You're playing Lifecrafters, Beast Jerry is the only really interesting one here. Some interesting card draw and some card selection with the scry and the drawing. So, enchantments, uh, we've got some interesting ones here. Elemental Bond, Furious Rise, Garrick's Uprising. All of them are essentially just there drawing you more cards. Right, their your card draw triggered off having things that are going to um, at creatures end of the battlefield. 
Furious Rise is a really interesting one that I think people often overlook. Uh, it is listed right now on Muxel as being two cents. Listen to this one. Two and a red enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, if you control a creature with power four or greater, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card until you exile another card with Furious Rise. So next turn, you could you still have access to that card and you have you even have access for that card until you ex until you exile another card so it's not it's like that impulse draw in red it's i think it's a very good card and i think in this sort of deck i think you're really going to be leaning into it pretty hard um then rhythm of the wild um this is yavamaya fi uh, fires yavamaya but better because your spells can't get countered um summer's invocation is kind of silly but that's a staple in almost all my decks seemingly and then warstorm surge uh whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control it deals damage equal to its power to any target well that's just good and then mana base is a pile of land um not too many um utility lands but you're going to play things like Terramorphic Expanse, Evolving Wilds. Um, and you'll play Kessig Wolf Run as a way to ensure that your things get trampled. And that's, that's, the big, that's the big tech there. You play Kessig Wolf Run and you just turn whatever big thing you have into just a giant trampling death monster. So Lex, want to know how much does that cost? How much? One hundred and six dollars. And that's not bad. No, not at all. Now you got it. You you've definitely got a plan for like what the deck wants to do. It's got a coherent strategy. Um, and with your coherent strategy at a hundred bucks or just around a hundred bucks, that seems pretty good to me. Um, yeah. so, folks, um. I don't know what to tell you. It seems like a deck that I probably should be building yeah. and then adjusting it over time. Lux, any ideas, any cards that you think that I missed that I should be playing or anything that seemed like a weird choice that you, you would you see me avoid? And I, I could take it right now, but I'm pretty sure if I built this deck, I'd probably be able to think of something. For sure. For sure. Um, I guess you know, pretty much going to wrap it up um, for, for this, I think. What do you think? Yeah. This looks this looks yeah. neat. I want to build this. I want to build yeah, it in no. paper. Yeah, build it so, in paper. Really uh, the best way to do. Exactly. And a hundred bucks, I might just do it. Um, folks out there, if you're listening and you want to see the deck, uh, be sure to go check out mockshield.com. Uh, look, use look up the username, the Epic Experiment Podcast, all one word, and you can find this week's deck and all the other decks we've ever brewed on the show. Uh, so you have lots of lots of options to see what we've been brewing and fooling around with. Um, I'd love to hear suggestions about what people want to what we put in here instead. Um, being mindful of the budget, where we're trying to keep the budget, you know, as close to 100 bucks as we can do it. I think a 106e is pretty de pretty decent on the whole. Um, that's pretty much gonna wrap up the show, right, Lux? Yep. Crazy. Um, it's so good to be back. I can't, I can't express that enough. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, so good. Um, and with plans to be back, and just like usual, next week too. So we'll, yeah. we'll uh, carry on. Um, if you want to leave us some feedback on social media, you can always email us uh, at the Epic Experiment Podcast at gmail.com. It'll be in the show notes down below, so you can check it and, uh, and send us an email. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter. Our Twitter handle, once again, is at EpicEXPCast. That is probably the easiest way to get a hold of us, as we both get those and check the notifications regularly. Uh, if you want to check out us on Moxfield, like I said earlier, uh, you can go open up Moxfield and check out the Epic Experiment podcast, all one word, and find all of our decks. It's also a great place to see lots of inspiration from other people who are building and brewing as well. Um, so, as always... Uh, Ask a question, leave a comment, or uh, just like and follow, subscribe us, and on, uh, follow us any of those medium. Um, every little bit helps get the word out there that we're we're here. You know, every week talking commander. I'd uh, love to do it for you guys. So, 
Uh, the more we hear from you, the better it is that we can tailor make uh, our, our 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 show to what people want to want to talk, want us to talk about. So uh, come and check us out. We'd be really appreciative. Uh, next week, uh, we're starting to look at. Uh, I believe there's some spoilers that have started to trickle out from some of these early sets. So we'll probably have a look at some of those. We'll talk about other issues uh, and hot topics in the world of Commander. Uh, and not to mention, there will be a deck next week. You know, we're, we're not sure what yet, but there will be one. So sit tight. Um, but until then, this is the Epic Experiment Podcast signing off. Wishing you all, wishing you all the best wherever you end. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Have a great day.